1: cha says you're willing to risk it all like hitting record on a podcast right as transfer news is swirling this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is elliot smith and you can block me on twitter at yankee gunner uh okay so there's rumors rumors we're gonna spend huge amounts of money again where is this money coming from it's coming from the money tree obviously uh we planted one in our backyard and i keep looking at it but as yet no money um but yeah it's coming and apparently we're in for up a kimono up up a moncano Sake, uh, saying I'm brand here. We are in for Regani, maybe. Uh, I Coutinho, no, that's done. Tim thankfully killed it with fire, but yeah, so there's stuff swirling, and hopefully, we'll get through the podcast, publish it, and nothing will have happened. Then we can spend the 70 million and do 400 podcasts about that. So, in the meantime, I'm gonna do just a tiny bit of housekeeping and then introduce the full panel of people that are uh, breathing heavily into their microphones. We are giving away two Arsenal shirts, and I would like you yeah, you, right? that you, Yes, you to win one. uh, Your choice, home or away. We'd offer you the third kit, but again, no apparent interest in releasing that one. Hashtag, what's going on? So yeah, you can go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com. There'll be a banner. It'll say win a shirt. You just punch in the info it asks for, which is basically a, a silly question that you will know the answer to, no doubt. And then you win a shirt. Presumably. We're going to announce it on the season preview pod, and that is coming in two days. Full season preview. Predictions, hopes, wishes, dreams, fears. Uh, not all fears, exclusively limited to uh, defensive calamities, although most likely they will be. In any event, let's start the podcast. Paul's on Twitter. Pause into my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Uh, Clive's on Twitter. Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim is on Twitter. At hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. Uh, still feeling a little hot under the collar from our sexy chat from the last pod. So, um, What we're going to do is we're going to quickly hand wave transfer rumor stuff because that is what the people crave. Then we'll get into the the Barcelona game. We'll keep this one a little short because there's something every day this week. There's this podcast today, literally, you're listening to it. Then Tuesday, we're going to do for patrons a Fantasy Premier League pod because we're going to do a Patreon Fantasy Premier League. We'll keep it firewalled. We won't let it bleed into other content, but I'm just letting you know if you want strategy and stuff like that, have a special guest coming on who does a Fantasy Premier League pod. That's Tuesday. Tuesday. Wednesday is the season preview pod. Thursday is the Patreon season preview pod. And Friday, I am pleased to announce an ArsBlog Arsenal Vision, crossover YouTube show. Andrew and I will be on camera showing our, I guess you'd call them faces, uh, and talking about Arsenal. So all of that is going on this week. Let's talk transfer rumors. And Tim, I will start with you because you hate them. Um, (laughs) What do you think? Of us smashing our transfer record yet again to go get a guy like up a come on, up up con, you know what the the guy <laughs>
2: uh, Uppy. yeah what I'm, about I'm, Uppy? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and say his name either um yeah i I think. First of all, I'm delighted this has happened on the day that I published a piece about how bad the, the market is for centre-halves um, at the moment. Mm. Um, the well, you're fa- kind of right, because they want, what, 90 million e- exactly, or something? <laughs> e- exactly. Like, yeah, that's exactly my point. You know, United were quoted 80 million for Harry Maguire last summer. They said no, and then they've come back a year later. You know, presumably they've looked around a bit and gone, yeah, no, you're the only one here, aren't you? <laughs> Let's do it. We've got a deal. Um, so, yeah, it's it's I mean, I'm not massively surprised it, I his name has been mentioned quite a bit over the last kind of couple of years. And I imagine what they've done is they've been trying to make a bit of a list of the centre-halves all summer. And his name's been on there, but probably under the too expensive um, kind of column. But now there's a couple of days to go. They've gone oh shit we've got to do something (laughs) so all the kind of slightly imperfect options either your loan deals or you're far too expensive and more than we can afford that that's the territory we're probably in for the next couple of days so um i i think it's interesting i don't know if we've got enough time to do a deal of that size particularly when leipzig don't seem to particularly want to sell but you know we did some business with them in january with emil smith Rowe on loan And maybe that's how we'll try and tempt them. I suspect it will be. I suspect we'll say, you're a German club, right? You like young English talent, right? We've got lots of it. We can send your way. Um, we also have so, yeah, German I'm,
1: international centre backs. We can send the other way, to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's the thing. They probably know them too well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm I, I'm not hugely surprised. I, you know, I, I really I think it's quite obvious. We really really need a centre half, and and they're probably in panic stations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me if they are. I think it's become pretty clear what the situation is. I'm sure. This presage is a move for kashelny out of the club. They're probably trying to move Mustafi, and they realize that if both of those things happen, a defender has to come in. Um, Clive, let me ask you this. I mean, you had tweeted that we should move on from our interest in tyranny or at least consider it if he's injured. Now, I'm really torn on this because on the one hand— I've seen plenty of us buying broken players and would be fine with us avoiding it. On the other hand, if you're buying a Kieran Tierney, you're doing it because presumably you think he is a long-term solution at a position, um, and if he can't play till October or November, that's not a reason to abandon your strategy for the next four or five seasons. So help me make sense of my conflicting feelings about Kieran Tierney continuing to be a target in light of his injury situation.
3: I, I have conflicting feelings too and my my tweets are really around highlighting the risk associated with him. Right, So he's a young player that's been a young superstar at Celtic for a few years and they have overplayed him, simple as that. And he has got wear and tear injuries and he's had them for a little while. He's had wear and tear injuries in a league that's not as intense as ours in a league where Celtic have the ball a lot of the time. So that's a concern. So it's just risk management. That concerns me. Um, the fact he can't even pass medical right now is, is, an, is, an, is an issue. When he kicks the ball, he's in pain. That just sort of concerns me a little bit. Um, and also concerns me the way we're being bullied on price. I'm thinking, we're being bullied on price? You've got an injured player here who's got a track record of injury. We should be getting a discount. So for me, it's more everything around it. And I'm not one that fixates on individual players, right? I like certain players, but I don't fixate on them. And just because we've had him in our eye line for a long period of time doesn't mean the world will end if we don't go for him. There's lots of left-backs out there. New ones appearing all the time into my life, right? So, but generally, I generally like the idea of the player. The idea of having him and Bellerin bombing up and down. What's not to like? There is no guarantee that Tierney's going to be a very good player. He's not proven. We all love Pepe at the moment, but he's not proven in the Premier League. There's a little 5% of us who thinking, I hope he's as good as we think he is. Because if he is, the, the world is great. But if he isn't, I'm going to be really disappointed, a little bit embarrassed about how excited I got when we signed him. It's the same for Tierney. He's not proven in the Premier League. There's a good chance he's going to be a very good player. He's very quick, You know, the right shape. He can really bomb. He's, he's got bell-like athleticism, um, mm. not very close to. But they're all good playing against Kilmark and Hamilton. The budgets between the two of them and Celtic is is trust me, it's massive, right? You've got you got you've got bank managers he's playing against there, right? And that's why I've been a bit disrespectful. But you see what I mean? You're not talking the same level of athlete. And so I've just got his five percent down. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go for him. I can say I like the idea. But you know the, the feedback I got from that um, thread of tweets, it wasn't negative at all. People do recognise there is a risk aligned to this um, transfer, and maybe we should wait till January and wait to see how he comes back. Wait, wait till your asset is healthy. Just, is that too? Is that silly? No, not. We've got of two that. left backs. Yeah, we've got two left backs in place already. Wait till the asset is healthy. He's just been told it's going to be two months out. That takes us into where we now, August. It takes us into October. You're talking another two months before you you'll come in January? You'll have a chance to get back to some sort of level of fitness, which can take a month anyway. We can end up with an asset on our books that we can't even get near till November. Like quite easily from a playing perspective. So I am not against waiting. I don't think we need to fixate on it. Obviously, I'm sure you're going to talk about centre-backs, and uh, mm-hmm. that's where uh, that's where the light is shining right now. Yeah. So that, that's it for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I totally agree. And by the way, I know you said you don't fixate on players. What you could try to do, Paul, uh, Paul, uh, Clive, is do it my way. Fixate on the players you don't like. Um, I have sort of like a Sauron's gaze, <laughs> whether it's Giroud or Mustafi. Right, Just, I fix my eye, and I see the player I don't like. I'm kidding. But to, to some extent, I'm not kidding. Um, Paul, let's talk about prioritizing defensive solutions right now. And I think at the beginning of the summer, left back would have been considered a priority But in light of the situation at center back, and given that Nacho and Kolasinac aren't like zeros in the same way that really some of our central defensive options are kind of zero-y at the moment. I mean, I I think I could forgive the club for saying, you know what, Tierney would have been nice, but we're moving off of that and prioritizing bringing in another body at center back. So my first question for you is, how do you feel if we don't wind up going for Tierney, but do bring in a center back?
4: I would be okay for that. Um, Center back is just the crying, oozing wound that we have to fill right now. Um, I think that's very, very clear. Um, I, I thought it was interesting how much we tried to play out from the back against Barcelona. I mean, in a very good way, nearly suicidal play from the back. And that says to me that, that we're looking at playing at a higher level from, from the back out. Now that's ju- not just down to the center backs, but uh, that's a limit on what we can do as a club in terms of style of play and style of attack. And it led so- to some catastrophic moments during the game it led to some extremely exciting passages of play up and down the pitch where we counter attack the shit out of them. Um, and, and, we have a team set up to counter-attack, but you've got to be able to play out from the back. Um, the good news is the big rumors this week look like they're all around center-backs, and it doesn't look like they're totally made up. So that seems to be where our activity and our focus is. But if we didn't have Tyranny, um, I think we've been a bit harsh on uh, uh you in particular, Elliot, um, in that he had a period last season where he was actually pretty good at the old cutbacks. And I just wonder if what happened later on in the season as we as everybody got tired is uh, they pretty much figured out that our threat came down the left wing. And if they stopped Uwobi and Kalasinac to some extent, uh, we weren't getting enough players into the box. And I, I wonder if he'll look a little better with, say, uh, attackers coming in off that left wing, whether it's I don't know who we'll put there, whether it's Martinelli, Reese Nelson, uh, Iwobi. But on the other side, we've got Pepe, you know, like pulling the uh, flies to uh, no, we can't use that analogy. Uh, bees to to pollen um, is going to give Iwobi. It's going to give Kalasinac. It's going to give whoever we play out on the left wing uh, for overlaps put a whole bunch of life into them. We haven't seen, hmm. uh, I, I wouldn't like to resurrect Nacho's career too much, but he's actually looked pretty good um, in preseason, livelier than he did for chunks of last year. And maybe there was a big kind of getting back to full fitness issue there. Of course, he could at his age, he could get injured again. But I mean, in the first half in particular, him and Nelson were facing Sameda and Dembele and for uh, a, a significant portion of it handled them pretty well. I thought Nelson did great. So uh, I think we, sh- if we were to say we had to pick between one and the other based on who we had in the pipe, and we had to pick a centre back, I'd I'd sleep a lot better, uh, knowing that we have not just a couple of full back options who maybe have more life in them than we thought. Uh, but also some wing options we didn't have before to liven things mm. up. I thought Nelson was excellent up and down that wing. And if you yeah. put Martinelli on that side with his work rate, um, they'll help out a hell of a lot. They'll get a lot more help than they got last year, I think.
1: Yeah, we we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves in terms of how much usage players like that are actually going to get during the season. We know that preseason is, is difficult to extrapolate from in terms of what, what the information you've been provided with means in terms of its ramifications for the actual season I think in terms of not rating Kolasinac look Kolasinac has some very good qualities I think even Emery has said they've been trying to work on him defending in a back four I don't think he's a full back in a back four and that is sort of borne out by the fact that when we played back four this summer well granted Kolasinac hasn't really been with the team but Nacho is the guy who's played um and I think that there's a reason for that, because he is the one who is a more adept fullback, but he's aging and he can't get up and down the pitch the same way. So, left back is an issue. It's not as much of an issue as center back. And Tim, we'll finish this part of the conversation just by saying this. There was an interesting chat going on in the Discord about what we'd be willing to spend, you know, what should we be willing to spend on someone like up a Kamano? No, that's not it. It's the other one, Upamecano. That's the one. Um, <laughs> it's going to go on like this. Gosh, now I don't want us to sign him, just so I don't have to say his <laughs> name anymore. Um, but with Upamecano, like, like the, the the debate was, should we give him like seventy million plus ML Smith Rowe on a permanent move? And some people were saying, no, he's too big a, a potential star for us. He he has too much potential. We have to hold on to him. I am sort of of the position that there are moments where you can make a move that so dramatically impact your trajectory short-term and long-term that they almost become worth whatever you have to spend on them. I think we are currently poised for a dogfight for top four. I think if we brought in a competent to above-competent center back, we'd become odds-on to finish top four. I really think we would have the strongest non-top-two squad at that point and a squad really prepared to, to, to stake a claim to the top four pretty comfortably. Now look, I realize season doesn't necessarily always play out that way and there are a lot of factors that can go into it, including injury. But if we get top four, if we get back into the Champions League and then we can start really rebuilding with more prestige, we're not having to overpay to get players to come, we have more money that we can spend and we've already shown we're willing to spend even when there doesn't appear to be that much money. Do you think that adding a quality center back can have a big enough impact on our trajectory that even sort of quote overspending or over-utilizing assets to get one would be worth the return
2: if if um yeah if that that center half is available i i wouldn't do like what united have done and spend you know twice what someone's worth if they're not going to push the needle for you, I mean, I think it, it's fairly—you you, know—you you you can draw a little line through like transformative centre half signings in Premier League history. And you look at us getting Sol Campbell, you look at Man United getting Rio Ferdinand, just an absolute lock at that point. They'd lost Yapstam, they had a year of Laurent Blanc. They needed a top quality centre half. They went out and got one of the best out there um, for at the time thirty million pounds, which probably in this market represents you know over a hundred million. Um, mm-hmm. yep. But it was it was an absolute lock. Um, and but to, to be honest, I didn't think Van Dyke was a lock when Liverpool got him. But yeah, I think um, I mean if if Liverpool for some mad reason were open to selling Van Dyke this summer, how much do you think he'd go for? I think they'd double their money easily um, if they, if they sold him now. So um, you can say that's a success. Uh, and yeah, I think we've reached a stage where we are, we are crying out for that kind of, you know, that level of reinforcement. Cause you know, Sol Campbell was the replacement for Tony Adams. We really needed someone at that point. I guess you can say Koscielny and Saka between them, not, not on Sol Campbell or Tony Adams level, but good. Um, and now we've lost both of them and not really replaced them. So like we really need to push the level up again. Um, So in, in one respect, yes. Like if, if our fairy godmother center half is out there, um, because what, what we're effectively doing with this bid is, you know, people are kind of uh, scoffing at the (laughs) 45 million just because we're spending all this money. It doesn't mean that that's our transfer key. Um, it means that we're, we're going into the overdraft, you know, and that's going to have an impact on how much we have to spend next summer, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said on the last pod, we're, we're, we're throwing the shirt and the watch on the poker table here a bit. Um, but if if you've got, like for a centre-half, that we were pretty convinced would turn our defence around long-term, yeah, i'd do that i'd 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 go into you know i'd dip into the overdraft for that it's like if your boiler breaks in the middle of winter right and you have to get a new one and it costs three thousand pounds you do it don't you because you can't not have central heating in the middle of december um and and i think this is this is kind of similar but um, by the same token, I, I don't really know anything about this Leipzig defender whose name I'm not gonna try and say, so I don't I it's don't easy. know. If it's easy, it's up a into...
1: What's so hard about that? <laughs> There's
2: no so N in there.
4: Up a, a m
1: That's what I said. I, I
2: don't know where up you up heard me. Jesus yeah. Christ.
4: I can't I can't listen <laughs> but, to it anymore. If,
2: if he if he's that guy, yeah. I'm 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 happy to to dip our fingers in the till a bit for it. If he's like um You know, a thirty million defender we're paying seventy million for no.
1: And and the funny thing is, like, you could talk me into that because a thirty million defender is a is a pretty good defender. And like a pretty good defender you know, there there is this whole thing, Tim. I think we have almost over-exaggerated, but I don't know if you can over-exaggerate. The existential importance of getting back into the Champions League at the end of this season and not becoming generationally a Europa League team. I mean, of course. Are we overstating it, or is it really that important?
2: I, I mean, it is, but like, what we've also got to look at is that last summer, we bought a new goalkeeper. We upgraded there. We did buy a centre-half, and, you know, I think we upgraded. If if we take into account that Socrates were it not for Holdings' injury, would have been the replacement for Mustafi, that's an upgrade. We got Lucas Torreira in central midfield as as our defensive midfielder. That's an upgrade. Like, we we, we did a lot of defensive upgrading, and uh, we even got back up for Bellerin. We got, like, an experienced Juventus right-back. So we we did actually buy some good defensive players last summer but and you can argue maybe this was down to other things a little bit or maybe down to injuries in the back line but it it didn't really improve us like i think there's an argument that we just because of the type of team we are we need that we need that soul campbell we need that virgil van dyke type signing and and really Anything less is just going to get sucked into the vortex that is being a defender at Arsenal, which is a bit like being a chicken at KFC.
1: Mm. Yeah, which I I don't know if our defenders are quite so delicious, but they are certainly (laughs) quite as vulnerable. Um Yes, yeah. they're certainly as bad for your stomach. Yeah, no, no kidding. Well, with that having been said, let's move on from the transfer rumors and talk about some actual football. And again, we'll keep it light today because we have a whole season preview coming up where we'll talk about the, the summer as a whole and what we're expecting going forward this season. But Clive, the, this was a fun game, I thought. I really actually quite enjoyed it. Um, I thought for large stretches of the game, we looked like we absolutely belonged on that pitch with what was a very strong Barcelona team, despite them not having the uh, Argentinian guy whose name I can't pronounce. Is it Misi? 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 Messiah? Uh, Messiah? Anyway, I I think there's a couple of players we can sort of focus on and a couple things from this game that are interesting. And one that I want to talk to you about in specifics is uh, Maitland-Niles. You know, as much as we focused on left back and center back, why not focus on the other weakness in the team, which is right back? You know, Bellerin is not back yet. We don't know what shape he'll be in when he comes back and whether he'll be able to avoid those seemingly Uh, unavoidable niggles that you pick up after a long-term injury. And that means it's Jenkinson or Maitland-Niles mostly for right back. And Maitland-Niles is a player that just confounds me because there are moments where he is so smooth on the ball, so silky, great touch, can pass, can run, can drive past a man. And then there are other times where he's so casual and can do something that no professional footballer should do. So I'm curious to get your take on his performance overall and your feeling about his readiness to start the season as our right back.
3: Yeah, I don't see what the debate is. Um, I, re- I really don't. And I'm not And just—he's um, a player that I like, but I do recognise his weakness. He he has moments where he goes dark. And he literally freezes on the ball, and you wonder where what's happening. But I think that is concentration. It's not talent, right? So we're concerned about Mustafi's talent, his ability to run, jump, and make decisions. We talk about a, a youngest player with concentration issues. That's two different things. I watched that game last night. Watched the whole game, and I thought in the first half he was our best player. I thought we could the way sold he-
4: him Clive at the end of the first half for about oh. eighty million. Couldn't we?
3: If you'd have asked Baston right now, which one of our defenders do you want to buy?
4: Well, <laughs> I mean,
3: uh, that's no, a loaded I, no, question.
4: He was superb in the first
3: no, half. I mean, uh, uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm very serious about this. I'm really. No, I thought he was excellent. I'm just so saying which one of our defenders is. So you know. disappointed in people judging on outcomes rather than source. Right, we made changes at that half time. We took away our ability to transition. We played a lot deeper. We had the Alamo for like fifteen, twenty minutes where our heads were getting spun off. And we just come out of it. But maybe the byproduct of that was a little bit of tiredness in preseason, a little bit of dead feet, a little bit of I'm going to pass it back to goalkeeper and the goalkeeper's moved, and the pictures changed, lack of communication. The sort of stuff that happens in preseason It's as simple as that. And then people are going to say, yeah, but he gave a penalty away in the Europa League final. Well, you know, Drew stopped still, stuck his backside into him, went forward, got a penalty, experience versus inexperience. Right, it doesn't mean he's a bad player. I I don't think there's anything to see here. In fact, I was just about, you know, I actually said before that he's playing brilliant. I think he's improving at a rapid rate, and everyone's got this nostalgic view of Bellerin, by the way, who I like, who's been a major offensive player for us. And but by the way, it's only a year and a half ago, people were killing him, and I don't remember him being a stellar defender on the back post. I don't remember him being an absolutely brilliant one on one defender. He's a progressive stealer transition footballer that's brilliant when we're on the move and he and he steals it like Cliche used to. As it's, as he moves as the ball's traveling towards him and he drives. He drives out there. He's got unbelievable fitness and a repeat sprint ability. But we're not we're not talking about a rock solid defender here. We're talking about classic modern win back, go forward fullback. That's what it is today. So I do think the two of them is a brilliant combination. I felt that we've overpaid Bellon in the past, and I do honestly believe that's a indirectly caused his injury because we've been over aligned him for far too long. Which means mainland niles is a very important player for this squad. And in modern football where fullbacks are under a lot of stress, do lots of running more than anybody else. I feel he's equally as important as Bellerin and to allow Bellerin to debe- develop back at, at the right sort of pace. And for Arsenal, when they play Maitland-Knowles, their style doesn't change, unlike on the other side of the pitch where we can barely put Kolesnik as a full because we're not sure what we're going to get. Yeah. So so I, I do think it's it's very important that we don't slaughter these this player because he made a mistake in pre-season. I think it's really important we, we're better than that we because uh, because I think it's going to be very very important to our club going forward and I'm starting to believe actually you really are a full back stroke right wing back this is what you are you're no longer a centre midfielder because I've got nothing to judge it on any longer because you've been at full back so long
5: mm. you
3: know left side or right side people saying put him in centre midfield what are they basing that on you know because what I'm seeing is somebody that Really, well, I, really I get comfortable on that right side.
1: It's, it's the burst. It's the ability to carry the ball. He can dribble a man and, and burst forward, and that's something that we've lacked in midfield. He's a good stand-up tackler, which I, I think, again, is something that in midfield is very helpful. The, the issue for me with him is like, so there, there's two different ways you can react to, to pressure on a pitch, right? You can be calm, and when things get, get serious, you are alert, and when you have time, you are patient. And I I would create a range. And on one end of the range would be the way Chambers reacts, which is he panics early and kicks the ball long. He doesn't want to be under pressure. Um, And then there's the other end of the range, which is Maitland-Niles, which is his alert doesn't go off early enough. And he can get caught on the ball just... Being too calm, too willing to take the extra dribble, shimmy, move the ball, switch feet, try to find an open man. I love that he is calm, and I love that he tries to progress the ball, and I love that he has the courage to beat a man. I like his athleticism. I like his trickery. I like his stand-up tackling. I just think he needs to recalibrate his alertness to danger, and I think just staying switched on. What we saw last season is every once in a while, players could run in behind him because he just doesn't have that. Concentration.
3: Well, it's that. Concentration.
1: I agree with that. It's the other thing, concentration,
3: and I'm, i will, I will say, it's concentration and communication.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: The communication across our back four is zilch, right? And and we see these issues. We saw it yesterday. You know, people don't get passed on. They don't get passed on. It's, it's it's something that we suffer from. We lack we lack real communication leadership back there, and so we end up being like like individual individuals within the unit. And we look after ourselves and things happen around us. I mean, the run yesterday for the goal was a classic example of a player running behind another one, not passing on appropriately. One player trying to track a player he could never catch, and the other one couldn't see him out of his side view, side view mirrors, right? So I think it's another preseason game where Monreal didn't pass the player on, Can't remember which game that was now. And um, basically, they, they scored for that one as well. I think it might be Leon, actually. But... Um, but this is what's happening at the back there. It's, it's communication. It's lots of things. Yeah. But what I will say, there is there is a list of priorities here. And main Niles is nowhere near the top of that list of priorities, in my opinion. He's somebody that actually I think is improving. And I wish that didn't happen yesterday because I think at the end of the game, we'd have been talking about something do, else. Do you that think that it impacted
1: happen. him? I mean, do, do you think something like that can have a I knock-on do. effect? Do you worry about that? Because, I mean, it's at the new am, camp, big crowd, a lot of people whistling you. You know, he held his head. He looked pretty annoyed by it.
3: He looked really to, to annoyed. To be fair, for though, Clive,
4: line. he did start the, the half. He got himself in three or four pickles in the first 12 minutes. It was like second half. He just kind of came on, switched off or something.
3: I think uh, if you look to the game, Paul, I felt we were playing in the wrong areas in the second half. I don't understand why we suddenly went deep and totally we went for where we try and counter-attack. We were, we were playing Coyfe turns in our box. I mean, Callum Chambers was a to turn turn his box. It wasn't because he wanted to do it, because he just had to. They were pressing us in our box. That's how deep we were. And I just felt that a lot of our players sort of lost their way for that period. And we, and we, we just came out of it, which was a real frustrating thing. And if it, what we should be talking about, about Maynard Niles, was actually when he made the mistake, he stopped pressing forward. And I think it waited him a little bit longer. And that's what really concerned me, because mm. he has nothing to be ashamed of. Right? It's a pre-season own goal. That's all it is. And I don't want to see those things hang around, because I saw something else in the first half that I haven't seen for a long time. I saw a lot of diamonds and Against the, you know, we're talking about one of the best left sided attacking teams ever. The way they use Jordi Alba to run off your shoulders, they really focus on the left side like they used to on the right side when Danny Alves used to play. Left side cutbacks all the time. You've got to be, if you're the right back playing against Barcelona, good luck. Yeah. And I thought he did a great job. And he maybe Niles'
4: crosses in the first half, Clive. He, he yeah, shook. they were good. Look, yeah.
1: I think the other thing is, too, you got to feel for him. He spent this summer, you know, trying to chase around Kingsley Coman and Usmani Dembele and, and whoever the, the hell else he's chased around, quite a few of them. I, it's just... You know, no, no fullback on an island looks great against that caliber of talent. They get beat. And yep. I don't have a problem with, with that. And I think if he can just keep his alertness and concentration high, I think he has Absolutely. the physical traits. Let's, let's not make it a, a Maitland Niles cast though, cause we're, we're closing in on that. And, uh, we've got a couple other guys to talk about before we get to the, cause again, I enjoyed this game and I thought there were times that we looked really good. I thought in the first half when we pressed and were progressive and passed the ball pretty well through the thirds, like I, I thought we looked decent, but, Paul, we have to talk defense because that is the area of concern, and it does look like maybe Emery is thinking Socrates and Chambers will be his center back pairing to start the season. I'm not a huge Socrates fan, I'm just not, but he definitely looks like the competent one among the group we have right now, so let's put him aside and talk Chambers. I don't want to kill the kid. I, I think he did some good things in this game, but, you know, we saw it later, we can talk, we'll talk ultimately about the goal that Suarez got to win the game, but... I think the combination of his discomfort passing the ball, you know, with the ball at his feet, he still looks nervy, and his, I think, not consistent positioning are are things that really worry me. How do you feel about the performance he had and the likelihood that he will be our starting center back when the season kicks off?
4: Uh, I think the likelihood is likely. Um, He basically played the whole game, so I think Emery was having a darn good look at him to see what he had. I think we were most stable with Socrates and Chambers. Uh, I seem to like Socrates more than mo- most. Um, I-, I feel still pretty good about Socrates, but who does he partner with? Um, so I, I thought, uh, I mean, you see Chambers overplaying things and getting caught up with his feet with the ball under his feet, I mean, he's still pretty leaden-footed, and he's, he's got slow feet and slow movement, even though he's got good skills, uh, so he's warming up to playing out from the back. I mean, we were ballsy the whole game, playing out from the back. It was it was breathtaking stuff that mostly came off in the first half. Well,
1: it's preseason. Yeah. If that's how you want to play, you might as well do yeah. it, right? Who cares if you concede goals? It's, it's practice. Literally, it's practice.
4: Yeah, yeah. But obviously, we're doing it to a purpose, right? You don't practice in preseason if the yeah, manager is no. because it's what we no, want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, I guess it, the team you don't really want to do it against. But we did a, a really good first half. You know, uh, they were pressing us more than we were pressing them offensively. On the other hand, and maybe it was just a function of of pressure, uh, possession, and and what area of the pitch you're playing in. But we were playing out. Uh, where they didn't really have to so it was it was a very interesting duel I and mean, pretty f- pretty even in the first half and when we had to go back at, at them late in the second half with Sabalas on the pitch etc that was that was a really good representation of us playing up and and uh and forward so there were some really interesting phases I think defensively it was there was nothing that could help you sleep at night. Apart from the first half, we were relatively solid with Socrates and Chambers. Uh, I wonder if it wasn't the screen, though. I thought Willock's game was really interesting. He's part of a two-man pivot in the first half with Chaka. My my hope, maybe not belief, but my hope is that uh, um, Willock and Sabalas can both give Chaka more life in terms of how much we'd like to see them on the pitch. Cause Chaka was very good springing this forward in the first half and Willock bought him a lot of legs. Uh, there was that run across the box to close down. Uh, was it, I don't know who was getting the shot off, but, uh, it was a diagonal across the box in the, in the first half that Willock just tore in there. Yeah. I thought it was Maitland Niles. who was running so fast, um, to block the shot. And, He was kind of all over the place in terms of his legs taking him to places when he needed to. But positionally, he was very solid. And you contrast that to Gonduzzi in the second half as a screen for the defense. And Gonduzzi truly a nomad. I mean, he just, the gaps between him and Chaga open up and close all the time. Mm. And Willock basically sat back for that first half with a couple of couple of times he took off to do something very specific and then got back in place he was actually relatively quiet but his contributions were all significant and he kept it simple and he'd feed Chaka so that Chaka could do his thing I think that was a very interesting look I thought it was interesting that he was kept on the pitch in the second half um but in the advanced midfielder role and then it was him that Sabalas came on for um Gendouzi, I love Ganduzi, of course, especially what I think he could become. But we've seen him in Chaka enough to know that that's kind of like an accordion in terms of uh, Gendouzi. You know, he's just a nomad. Yeah. And I think uh, I think the write-up on Tat from Tat and other people when we signed him was that, uh, sure, he travels all over the pitch, but he's young. But that's what he is. I mean, he just yeah. goes all over the pitch, and he finds it hard to restrain it.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the structure of the midfield started to get a, a little less disciplined in the second half, and I mean there were a lot of changes and we were changing positions, and you know Ozil moved out to the right, and I don't you know I don't know how switched yeah. on he was from the flank versus where he was in a central position earlier in the game. So there's a lot of factors that go into that, but but Tim, well first let's let's wrap up the central defense conversation. Do you feel pretty confident that it'll be Socrates and Chambers, and are you grudgingly okay with that for Newcastle?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, with the options we have available, that's what I'd go with. And and to be absolutely fair, I think we were right pretty much with those two. I mean, the, the first goal we did concede. I mean, it it was hardly their fault, was it? Mm. And then the second, and then the second goal. As as, as loath as I am to say, oh, it's all my fault. I mean, we'd broken them up. Um, At that point, albeit we were under quite a lot of pressure. I I think what's interesting about this game. I agree with you. I thought it was a fun game as well. I thought it was really like the Leon game, which um, which does kind of concern me a bit in that we were really pretty good in the first half. Um, not as dominant as we were against Leon because we were away at Barcelona. Um, but I thought I thought defensively we looked good, and I just thought back to you know the the answer Unai Emery gave to my question at the press conference after the Emirates Cup, where I asked him about the defence, and he said we were fine in the first half, and it's because our positioning was good, and we we had con- we had a bit of control of the game and of the ball. And then, and and you saw the, you know, I thought we were fine defensively in the first half against Barca, as as fine as you can expect to be defending against the likes yeah, of when Dembele you, and Griezmann.
1: Especially when you, you removed the danger we came under that we caused ourselves, you know, just giving it away, playing yeah. out from the back. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. But even then, I th- I thought the recovery was pretty good. Yeah, them. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, he he talked a bit about you know after the Emirates Cup the concentration going a little bit and whether that's a symptom of the amount of changes. But it just seemed thing happened again the positioning of the whole team was as clive said 10 15 20 yards further back and they just came under a little bit more pressure and then of course you know you bring someone like luis suarez on um and that's going to make life more difficult um so you know it, i i thought i thought for the defense this was a really really valuable game because we played a game where we knew we were going to be under pressure and what we're trying to do, basically, is see if Chambers and so- Socrates, that they're, they're going to have to play against Newcastle. Because even if we're signing a centre-back as we speak, that centre-back is not going to be ready for Sunday. So what we need is we need some indication of whether those two can form a partnership and what better way to test that than to give them 90 minutes away at Barcelona in the new Camp. So I I thought um, it was very valuable in that respect. I thought they did pretty much okay, And the problems we ran into weren't really of their making. Although I I do take your point on Chambers. I think he was harried um, and he he panicked. Um, I'm not convinced Newcastle will do that quite as much. Mm. Um, And the other thing about playing Barcelona as well, why it's the ideal friendly, I think, to have at this stage of pre-season. It's not not so much Barca's technical level that gets me when I watch them. It's their physical level. Like, they hound you. They absolutely hound you, even in this friendly. You know, Dembele and Griezmann were absolutely all over our centre-halves in a way that I think is only remotely matched by like Tottenham, Liverpool and city in the premier league. Um, and that was just a friendly. So I, I think, you know, Emery always talks about, we have more information. That's like one of, one of his kind of stock phrases. And I, I think he will have got a lot of good information out of this.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you this. I mean, to me, I look at our defending this way. This is a team that can't sit in a low block. We just can't no. defend in a low block period. But in the first half, when we were pressing them a little and you know, bracketing their midfielders and making it tough for them to play through the thirds and possessing the ball a little bit more and passing it around ourselves, we kept the ball away from our defense. And that's how Mm. we have to defend. I mean, to me, if we sit in a low block, we're going to get killed, period. So it has to be a pressing team and it has to be a possessing team. So that brings us to the midfield and the question of how to set it up and how to ensure that we're not losing the possession battle, losing the territorial battle and eventually getting pushed deeper and deeper. Let's talk Shaka just for a second. Uh, He Hmm. plays every preseason game, almost all the game, all summer long. He's rumored to be up for a captaincy. It seems like this is a player who is going to be a nailed-on starter and regular feature for the club, and I can't help but feel that we have some other players who maybe give us a dimension to our game that we might be better off with. So where do you finish this summer on in terms of your your evaluation of Shaka, his importance to the team, and and the likelihood that we're not really ready to move on from him,
2: um, I, I think we are ready to move on from. Uh, we're not ready to move on for him from him for the first two games because Genduzi and Torreira have been at summer tournaments and Sabio's came in late. Um, I think that's that's a really short term issue. Um, you know that's that's definitely we can't play Ganduzi and Torreira against Newcastle. And you Newcastle. think Emery agrees
1: with you though? In light of all the information I, you have, I'm
2: not a hundred percent convinced. The thing that gives me a little bit of hope is that he still hasn't entirely decided on this captaincy issue. Is the information we're getting, and and for me, if you've made Jack a captain for the last two um, kind of pre-season games, where all the other kind of quote unquote captains have been available, like what are you waiting for? You know, why, why wouldn't you just make him captain? And and I think the reluctance suggests that he's not entirely sold. And, and like I've said before, I, th- I think maybe we fixate a, a little too much on the captaincy issue because it didn't help Petr Cech last year. It didn't help Aaron Ramsey. It didn't help Mesut Ozil. <laughs> um, and it hasn't helped Lauren Koscielny either. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced that's such a big thing, but the, the hesitance says to me, like I don't think Unai Emery is as ready as I am to see Genduzi and Torreira um, form the the basis of our midfield going forward. But I, I don't think he's a million miles away. And what really interested me was in the second half, Genduzi. I, I kind of think he does this anyway. It was really, really obvious to me that genduzi was the one that was dropping deep and picking the ball up from the centre halves and Jack. It wasn't Jacker,
1: mm.
2: and and I don't think that that was just like youthful impetuousness on uh, or enthusiasm on genduzi's part. That that looked to me like instruction, um, and and it's one I'm all for because I think. I don't think he's quite as good a distributor as Xhaka. Not, he's a good one, I think. I think he's very good at spreading the play out. He's probably not quite as accomplished as Xhaka at that yet. It's just it takes Xhaka too long to do it, whereas Gendouzi does it quicker. He picks the ball up, he's immediately looking up, his, his head's swiveling all the time, and he moves it on, whereas Xhaka just takes too long to do that. And, and I think that 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 could be quite significant that Gendouzi was the one doing that in the mm. second half. Cause if Granit Xhaka is not doing that, like what the hell is the point in him? Because he's not, he's not a number eight to me. He, he, the only role that he can play that you get a dependency on him is doing exactly that, picking the ball up off the center halves and moving it on. And if you've got Gendouzi doing that instead, then like, Xhaka is completely redundant um, in my eyes, but you know I, I think this will take a little while to shake out. I do think Xhaka's spot is potentially up for grabs, but um, probably not in August.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's hard for me, right, because I see Ceballos and the movement he has, and the elusiveness and the drive and what Willick has added, who I think – really does look poised to be a star. We sometimes overrate our, our academy players, and especially mm. based on preseason performances, but I think it's real with Willock. I think he's making the yeah, yeah. Um And then Terrera has the mobility, the elusiveness. Genduzi has the range. And I would just love to see us transition to a more mobile midfield like that. I'm not convinced Emery is ready to make that transition. I think he still trusts Shaka to be the 100-pass player in the team. But we'll see. I mean, Clive, we... We saw a lot of Shaka this summer. We saw a lot of good things for him. We saw that a lot of the same flaws are there. I think it is fair to say that the debate over Shaka has been overly polarized, that there are people that think he's garbage, which he isn't. Uh, There are people that I think are on the other side of that, as is always the case in Arsenal, uh, in the sort of Arsenal's zeitgeist. Paul? Yes. Zeitgeist?
4: Thank you. It Um, it means... It means ghost of
1: time, spirit of the time. Thank you. Um, but for me with with Shaka, I just see a player who who is exactly what he is. He can distribute long very well. He can play it out to the the flanks really nicely. he's He's got a hammer of a shot from from range when it's on target. That's nice, but he lacks mobility and awareness, and sometimes his brain switches off. and so it the question I have for you is, would you be moving away from him? And what is the midfield you'd like to see that maybe adds another dimension?
3: I think um, Shaka hasn't really changed since he got here. He's a he's a decent player that's got obvious flaws, right? So, and we all know what they are. But he does have level of leadership and he holds the team together, sort of, uh, with these sort of experience and, and presence. He doesn't mean he's beyond mistake, because we all know what his mistakes are. He takes a while to get it onto that left foot, he can get his head down, he can get pressed, he can get dispossessed. But really, for me, as soon as I saw the Emirates Cup game, actually, I, I I've known for I've known for a while, Gwen is Shaka's takeout. It's as simple as that. Because he has the same DNA. He wants to go and get it. He wants to run it. So he needs to be in charge. And Shaka likes to be in charge. And so you've got two alphas playing in that same position. Now it can work up to a point, but they're both sort of one pace. Although I think Granduzzi is showing a little bit more of a step this year. Um, and as soon as the opportunity comes for Granduzzi, remember he's just turned twenty. If he, if he if he has, um, he will he will take over the base of our midfield. He will take over the playmaking. He has got the range of pass. He's got a different style of pass, but he's got just as much variation. He moves it quicker. He's got as much personality. He has plays with no fear. He absolutely wants it all the time. And I just see him improving to such a point where this debate will no longer be a debate. And I've said before, we will develop away from Shaka because it will just happen. A lot of people. rises to the top. Yeah, let it happen. Just relax, let it happen. We haven't got to pick the team in Wait, August.
1: Let me just back up for a second. Relax. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What? Could you define it? is it a synonym yeah. what do you have what is
3: that we, we we must stop doing this right we we mustn't pick the team in august right because the real crunch months come after christmas right so that's what we need to be thinking about we've got we've got Joe Willock it's great that we've got this and I said it before online we've got a young team developing beneath the team there are three or four players that really do represent the past and they are going they are being developed past there are people pushing them for their places and you could say only represents the path, Mustafi, Shaka, you know, um, Ozil, and maybe up to a point, although it's slightly unfair, Mikatarian, but I've, I'm, I'm being unfair there. But those fo- those players, they represent yesterday's Arsenal. We are not ready to throw them all to the, into the bin, although some people are, um, but we're already moving away from them. And some of these new signings and young players coming forward show you what could happen, but they're not ready yet. It's pre-season football, and then the real ball comes out at the weekend, where points really do matter. And in pre-season, some younger players really show because they're naturally fitter, and the older players are a bit cute about how they peak, right? So, just be aware this this is just a preview to what could happen. But you know, from what I've seen of Gwenaëlle and then seeing the little cameo from Siballas, you think it's okay. This is really exciting. Their their ability to just move it and they're just they're just not afraid. Yeah, you know, just they're just not afraid, and that shows you that there won't be long before they're ready to own the center midfield of Arsenal. It won't be long at all, but it doesn't have to be August. It's be yeah. a little bit longer yet.
1: No, that, that's fair. Well, one person that does own a position is uh, Aubameyang, and Clive, I'll stay with you just for a second. We haven't seen much of Lacazette this summer, and it it's not Lacazette's fault, but it certainly makes me wonder, especially with the avalanche of minutes that Aubameyang has been played. If if Emery isn't really trying to determine whether he wants to make this Obama Yang's team. If you drop me down from space, and some people would suggest that's exactly where I came from, um, and I watched Arsenal preseason having never watched this sport before, which again, some people would say is the case, um, I would say that that guy's different, different gravy. He's different. He looks so much better than everybody on the pitch this summer. He's just absolutely standing out. And when he is on like this, you think that he can be the difference between this team being good and being special. I'm curious if you think the way he's played this summer and once again, the way he looked in this game, the way he took his goal, which was breathtaking. The
4: only thing that bulged more than the net was my shorts.
1: (laughs) Thank you for that. Um, Hang on. Okay. Um, Okay. Clive, can you say something nice about Aubameyang so I can go throw up in my Snapple bottle?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does look like his team, and from the first preseason game, he he's he's been right on it. And um, and of course, as soon as someone looks that good, what do I what do I do? I start worrying, right? Because I'm starting thinking, okay, this can't last. So I'm actually glad that the rumours already not going on loan. And depending on what you read, and I hope it is true, not going on loan because he's the only one with the speed that can make us take a Bamiang off the pitch at certain periods, If hopefully if the game is won, to replicate him. Um, I, I do think we have to think about how we manage, not just him, but all the players. I've got, I have know I've got a few things on my mind for the preview coming up this week, but he looks so good I don't want him substituted, and I shouldn't be saying that about preseason. See, you that the other eight, way. Minutes. I'm
1: at like 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, okay, he's running enough Take him off. Wrap yeah, the well rest
3: eight, him, please. <laughs> Eighty-five minutes he played. Yeah, him and him and Socrates—they're—they're they're, they're the two irreplaceables at the moment. They're just too valuable, right? So, and they—they're playing too much, and we're getting away with it. Like I said, it, we don't know what you know. He's obviously took a bit of a whack, but he's lost a week of pre-season. He may be back training now, but we don't know where he is. Um, I think there'll be a sharing of the game at the weekend. Um, I'm disappointed, not disappointed, but I'm a bit concerned that we haven't seen much of a Wobie this preseason. Um, and I do value him, and I think he will be increasingly valuable as the season goes on. But maybe we just got to give him that time away, so he is valuable when we really need him. But um, yeah, Baryang, he is the superstar at the moment until number 19 rocks up and see how he goes. But the team belongs to Baryang, and he is showing it at the highest, highest of levels and he looks very comfortable. I'm looking at him. I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's good players out there, but he's really, he's really, bored well, him on well class. You know, he really looks well class to me. And I just wish he was 27. Right, that's what I wish. But to be honest, he's not looking like a 30 year old. He's looking very, very sprightly. Yeah.
1: To be fair, I wish I was 27 too. Um, <laughs> yeah, he he looks he looks so incredible. And and Paul, I think the one really interesting thing in this game that I was trying to focus on and I, I I literally had the thought in my head don't even bring him up on the podcast because I it scares me to discuss mesoozal I I have to admit the the social media mob both for him and against him has made him such an unpleasant player to debate positively, negatively, mm-hmm. anywhere in between that I, I I loathe discussing his performances because whatever Good follows man. out of my mouth next is going to be perceived as agenda, is going to be ridiculed. Now to be fair, most of what I say deserves all of that. But I thought Messed Ozil had one of those ozil kind of games where he makes that pass that's sort of a very mess at Ozil pass, a special one in in the space between the center backs to sort of set Aubameyang in for goal. Now, to be fair, I thought the way Aubameyang took it and pirouetted was special. He still had a lot of work to do there. Um, But he also had moments where we were on the counter and the ball didn't leave his feet as as quickly as I'd like. He did have moments where he made really nice runs on the counter and Reese Nelson, I think it was, kind of failed to spot him and and Ozil had a few unhappy glances with the young man. So, I'd rather get you in trouble than get me in trouble. Yeah. How do yeah, yeah. you feel about Mesedoso's performance and and especially in light of the fact that in the 4-2-3-1 we can see him playing as the 10 behind the striker but in a 4-3-3 it's harder to find a spot for him. So has he made an argument this summer and maybe in this game for for an inclusion to start the season?
4: Yes. Uh, so I thought he was good in the first half. Um sure, there was the uh, uh I guess you would say oh obama yang made his pat his assist look world class with his with the turn and the shot that made the net bulge and the only thing that made oh no um but i actually thought ozil was working his socks off pretty much the whole first half um it- it- In particular, what you'd see is he'd drop into the left-back position to pick up the ball and help us build play up the pitch. So I actually thought he was pretty influential in the first half. I mean, he's never super high touch, and he does, even in the first half, he tended to slow us down at times before speeding us up. So he he does like to go down and up through the gears. Sabalis is a guy who just likes trying to find the fifth, the sixth, the seventh gear, but uh, Ozil kind of uses uses that up and down thing in terms of tempo. And when he's not really feeling it or he's out of form or he's in a bit of a funk in a season, we mainly see him in the lower gears and it's frustrating, but I I think he's on it at the moment. I think the second half is more the case for, I don't think he did anything wrong. It was over on the right hand side, basically Mm. uh, covering Maitland Niles. And I think he worked fairly hard, but it's Ozil. So it wasn't exactly getting the most out of him. Um, It was more, hey, there's only so many people were taking off the pitch and you're not the guy, so we left him on. Um, So second half, he was was not a huge factor. First half, I thought it was quite influential in helping us play out uh, up the left side. So I definitely think he's still feeling it. He's still good. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll see. Uh, I hope we're flexible in terms of when and how we play him. Uh, The first half against Barca was kind of... You could say it was four-two-three-one, but we saw so little of the ball. We were basically sitting in a four-four-two, with uh, Ozil and Aubameyang the two up front. But Ozil taking liberties to drop very deep, right beside Chaka or whoever, down in that bottom corner to play it out. So it was a it was an interesting look. I don't know we'll play too many teams where we're forced into that shape for a whole half, uh, but I thought it was actually pretty good in helping us play out. That was my
2: take.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing that's hard for me, right, is it's suddenly gotten to be a very competitive area of the pitch because Pepe's probably going to mm. play a lot. Yang's going to play a lot. You would imagine Lacazette will play a lot. Um, Ceballos has been promised 40 appearances, which if we're talking about moving away from Shaka, by the way, I didn't mention it, but whatever you think Ceballos is going to do early in the season, if we're going to live up to the 40 appearance promise, he's going to have to play a is lot too. Is that real, though? Yeah. I mean, that's been widely—anybody want to refute that? That's been widely reported. Anybody?
3: I've read 30 um, as well, so 40 um, is a lot, mate, but um, I've read 30 as well. But I've also read 40, so it depends what you want to believe.
1: Let's put it this way.
4: I, mean, I don't believe it, but I don't have any evidence. I just don't believe you can do that in a team.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it may very well not be true. Uh, I'm going to choose to believe it because I want to see him play a lot, but, you know, tomato, tomato. <laughs> I, I I would say this then, Paul. Like, I thought Ozil did just fine. I, I don't know that I thought he was as good yeah. out on the right in, in that – formation where he played in the no. second half but one guy that I again he, I got I'd love to see him really step it up but he did not is Mkhitaryan um Ugh. the balls just getting away from him too easily he's Ugh. it's not coming off for him if there is a position that could be had in this team I would think it's kind of on the left wing in a 4-3-3 three, three or 4-2-3-1 um if Ob- if Aubameyang and Lacazette don't both start then that's the position where there's an opportunity yeah. Emery's given Mkhitaryan every chance to try to claim it. He's also played a little mm-hmm. deeper at times this summer, and it's just not coming off for him. Do you think it's just as simple as the decline is starting to set in? I mean, this is a player who's at the end of his prime.
4: Yeah, I mean, if you just judge it on chances this preseason you say, Emery's really gearing up to use the guy. Uh, and I do like Mkhitaryan. Uh, like, I, I'm a bit defensive of him, but Man, I scarred this game, and he was dog shit. He gave eh, no passes, came off. He gave everything away. Um, I mean, he's a bit Ramsey esque in that he'll try 50 50 balls all day long. Um, And on a good day, he ends up in 60 or 70%. Paul, there was one counter attack
1: where we had, like, I think a three on two really good positions, and he literally just fell down. Like he, he just yeah, fell yeah, yeah. over and
4: the he, ball went to the He was caught defender. between choices as to where he was going to put the ball and uh, I thought about it. first reaction to that was, Oh well, people fall. And actually that's more a guy who doesn't know what he's gonna do with the ball, so his feet doesn't know what to do next. Yeah, it's so, also
1: how we wound up giving away a, a penalty to Birmingham at home last season. I mean, not with the fall, yeah. but blowing an easy counterattack, yeah.
4: Yeah, so this was a this was kind of falling off a cliff for him and he's Brighton, been getting sorry, quite a Brighton. bit of criticism. But I thought he was – I liked the guy, and it hurts me to say he was dog shit in this. Um, but, I mean, he he, he got, still got quite a few minutes, but that's a spot up for grabs. The only thing you'd say about Mkhitaryan is he started really lo- slow last preseason too. So he might be the one who benefits from the you totally ignore preseason.
1: Yeah, and, that's actually uh, a really fair point. The, the yeah. older you are, the more preseason is just about getting your breath, you know, than, Yeah. Than your game so, coming off.
4: so an asterisk against his preseason in that it might just be him getting all the bad passes out of his system, but he was literally uh, a net minus, I thought, for especially in the first half. So I would not, you know, Martinelli and Saka came on wide in the second half, Nelson in the first half, um, and they just gave us so much more than Mkhitaryan did.
1: Mm, yeah, and, and I mean, it seems like Emery wants to trust Mkhitaryan based on his usage this summer, but he certainly hasn't rewarded him with any performances that suggest he he's ready to to step it up. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. Um, Tim, let's do a quick whip around before we say goodbye of the, uh, the young players that did get in on this game. I mean, Martinelli played and was interesting. Uh, Saka came on and had a little bit of an interesting cameo there. Nelson obviously played a lot of minutes. Any of the younger players finish their season emphatically for you in this game or their, their preseason?
2: Um, other, other than Willock, not really. Um, I, I think Willock is, is the one who's really stood out. I think in, in did at the beginning, but maybe when the quality of opposition went up and their preparedness went up, um, you know, he, he kind of, and, and of course you've got Aubameyang playing brilliantly in pre-season, then maybe he fell away a bit. I, I think he needs to go on loan. Um, personally, I think he's reached a stage where he has to play um, regularly. Um, and I, I I see that happening. Tyrese John-Jules signed a new contract today. And I very much wonder if that was on the basis that he will take what Nketiah's spot was last year. Um, but I... I, I was I was hugely impressed with Willock as as I have been all preseason, but I've been impressed with him in that Ramsey role all preseason. I thought what was really interesting about him was that he's he's shown other strings to his bow and he just looks like a really good kind of modern all round midfielder who can you know, who can play in that double pivot and can play ahead of it. Um I w- I wouldn't say like we got any really brand new information on any any of the young players. Um, in this game, I, I think um, more, more than the young players that the players I've been looking at this preseason are the ones who aren't so young anymore, um, who who aren't in the potential bracket anymore. Players like Callum Chambers and Emmy Martinez, who you assume the plan going forward is for them to be, you know, like first reserve in their positions and whether they're actually up to that. Um, I haven't seen anything from Martinez to suggest he's not, thus far. Um, even though I, you know, I don't see. I, I see him as maybe a competent backup, but I'm not sure I see him really challenging Burn Leno. But we've got so much shit to sort that it's it wasn't all going to get sorted this summer, and it's kind of fine parking that issue for a year. Um, and, and yeah, I've, I've really liked Saka Nelson. I I think there's. His decision making and sometimes his touch is just a little bit off he he's got a touch of the walcotts um to me yeah in the, I agree with that mm-hmm. in 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 some moves you think oh you've tripped over or oh, you've run off without the ball and then sometimes you know he pops up and and he does something real be that maybe that's who he is maybe he irons that out i th- I think that's the thing with some of the the flaws we see in preseason a bit like maitland niles and concentration and stuff I'm never fully convinced that you properly iron that out in a player. I I think that's, it's just who you are as a person. Um, Like I'm sure Maitland Niles has watched himself and been coached many times and been told right don't relax too much sometimes but you know it's like if it's if that's you that's you you can't you can't stop being you you know and we're seeing this in more experienced players like Xhaka and Mustafi you can't stop being who you are um, and how your brain you know how you act subconsciously it's very very difficult to change that um, and so may, maybe that's who who Nelson is because when we were looking at Walcott at eighteen, nineteen, we were thinking, yeah, his technique's rubbish, but you know that will get better, and it never did, because um, that's just not who he was. Um, so I think I think, um, I, think I've se- I think we've seen some really really interesting stuff from our youngsters. Most of our youngsters, I think, have built a real case to be you know at least valuable squad players. Um, and then we've got some players in the middle, yeah, like Chambers, Martinez, um, who kind of, you know, they've got something to prove yet and they're not in the potential bracket anymore and Mm. we're probably going to have to go with them this season. But, you know, for those players, this is going to be a really big season because hopefully this time next year, those are issues we'll be able to address and we'll be able to look at players like Chambers and Martinez and say, you know, Yay or nay, um, effectively. So I think the preseason was more interesting for that level of player than for the younger players.
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Before I finish off with Clive, let me just ask you this: I mean, as a Brazil watcher yourself, uh, Gabriel Martinelli has played quite a bit this summer. We've we've seen a, a decent amount of him. Yep. I've been impressed with his directness. Um, he's he's a very active player. He's energetic. He's tigerish, and he when he gets the ball, he yep. just wants to go forward. I I think he's look. I'm not saying he's going to play at all. He may not. But he looks mm. further along than maybe I anticipated he would look. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I I think he'll be in the Europa League squads, and he might not even start those games. But, um, but I, I you know, I, I think he'll definitely be a part of those squads, and we'll see him in the League Cup and stuff like that. The kind of, I guess, advantage he's got is that even though he, he's been playing at a low level, he's been playing men's football. Um, he hasn't been playing... You know, you apart from that kind of brief uh Segen in the in the copinha in, in January, he's been playing men for the last, you know, year to eighteen months now. Um, and on bad pitches like the pitches in the Brazilian top flight are absolutely dreadful. So like the the pitches in Brazilian regional football, uh, you know, they might as well be playing like on the beach, frankly. Um so you know, he's he's got he's got that to him. He's got that edge, he's got that, you know, guys playing for their rents trying to kick his legs off so i think maybe it stands to reason that he's you know he'll have some rough edges but he's perhaps he's perhaps a little bit further along than some of our guys who've been playing you know youth football in the space age feng shui kind of environment of london Colney.
1: <laughs> yes well said no it's actually a really really good point because i think um, he shows that. He, he doesn't shy away from the challenge. He doesn't look lightweight at all. He, he has good drive and energy. His intensity is right. I like the player, and I think he, he certainly looks ready to contribute something. Uh, he arrives in the box and has a decisiveness about his finishing, albeit maybe not as accurate as we'd like. He had the one that whistled by the post that he kind of side-volleyed uh, from, I think it was a sack across. He actually took it off of Aubameyang's boot, so there you go for confidence. Clive, we'll finish with this. I, I want to quickly touch on the goal that won the game. Look, it is very easy to pick on Mustafi right now. It helps no one. I don't think he should be playing for us. It'd be great if we could shift him, but piling on at this point doesn't add a hell of a lot. Um, you got to kind of just laugh about it, but there are debates about who's responsible in that goal, and I sort of see three tiers of responsibility because my biggest pet peeve about Arsenal over the last five, seven, ten years in the way we defend is just way too many times I see an opposition midfielder ball at his feet 45 yards from our goal And no Arsenal player within five yards of him. And if you give a professional midfielder five yards to pick a pass in your half with no pressure, they'll pull you apart. They'll pull you apart. I'm going to use an NFL analogy. I apologize to everyone listening. But if you let an NFL quarterback sit in the pocket with no pressure, it doesn't matter if his receivers are crap. It doesn't matter if he's crap. He's going to find an open man. Eventually, the defenders can't cover them. And that's the truth in football as well, which is if you let professional strikers run around off the shoulders of defenders while the midfield has all day to pass, you're going to have a problem. So I was really sort of annoyed at the, the the amount of ground we gave them to make the pass into Suarez. The run is good. Mustafi looks at him, lets him go. Chambers takes the oddest angle of attack I've ever seen in my life, which is he runs sort of parallel with him instead of trying to intercept the run. For you, what's the anatomy of that goal? And... Is it multiple layers of defensive breakdowns there or would you like to just pin it on one guy?
3: No, it's uh, it's always three or four mistakes in any goal. Um, you're absolutely right about um, no pressure on the ball. So again, we we name all these lovely players, but not all of them are pressing players. So we give people time. Golden rule, center bank, when people have got time on the ball, what do you do? You drop. You drop. You don't stand square looking, hoping. You drop. Um, we didn't really drop as a unit. We were we we had a massive gap in between us. Suarez I, I thought assumed that Suarez made the classic two run, you one run for the defender, one run for you. We didn't really, just sort of ran forward, which means the gap was there. And it's a beautiful pass and we scored and they saw they scored. And um I'm looking at it thinking, Okay, this is a real concern because When Mustafi came on suddenly there was just nothing. There was no communication. There was just nothing there I don't want to blame him, but it's just a common denominator It's quite when he comes on he defends in a different way at the moment I mean Tim Tim said this a few pods away pods back He just looks for a way out and he looks for a way out that it's not him But it's him. Do you see what I mean? Mm. But he's looking not to be near the moment I'd I tell you, mate. His confidence is completely gone. He's completely shattered as a footballer. Forget the what he can and can't do because we've seen him play very good games, but he's not capable at the moment. And he's very, he's very, uh, from a human point of view, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a shame, I and mean, it, it concerns me. I'm a softy, right? It concerns me. And I see professional people that have played at the very highest level and got the very biggest medals in their back pocket, suddenly can't do the absolute basics in a preseason friendly, and that is concerning. That things have got on top of him, and um, and so that that does worry me if I'm honest. So um, because the last two games, as, soon as he's come on, he's just defended for himself and tried not to exacerbate a situation that he obviously feels, and that's just a classic sign of a loss in confidence completely about someone doing the basic fundamentals of his role. The fact that Emery gave him just five or so minutes and it still ended up in something that you're going to walk away with tells you where Emery is with him. Knowing how critical Socrates is, he still kept him on for that length of time. So there's something else going on here and I hope I hope for his sake he gets a move because he needs a new environment. He really does. and In that new environment where he can be wanted, and um, I think that will do wonders for him. Forget Arsenal for a second, he's a human being involved here, and he's really derailing right in front of us, and, and that's a shame. And I just hope we can get him to a place where he can play, because he's not going to play for us in his current state and get any sort of support from anybody, because I'm afraid most fans just won't see their team win, and um, I'm afraid they think that the salaries... Will will um, mask their human feelings of the of the player, and they they're entitled to um, to abuse him and at him and all the rest of it. I don't agree with that, um, but it is what it is, and I can't change people's minds. I can't make people um, be nice. It's just the way it is in the real world, and this is this is top level elite sport, and that comes with the with the territory. Yeah. But for his sake, I hope he gets somewhere where he can play and refine his game.
1: Yeah, I mean, look. Have a laugh at the guy's expense if you want. Just don't add him. <laughs> you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to tag him into it. Like, okay, this is all entertainment. We can have a laugh. It's fine. You don't have to bring the guy into it, for God's sakes. I, that, that drives me nuts. Um, yeah, I, I look at it this way. I, I think we are what we are. We are the mullet of a football team. We're party in the front, you know, business in the front party in the back, right? We are, we are, uh, the guy who skipped leg day. We're we're just we're that team, and I, I think if Emery is willing to lean into the attack and willing to play on the front foot, he can shield it, mask it a little bit. We saw it in the first half when we sit in a low block more. Well, you see what happens in the second half. So, you know, hopefully we'll find that balance. I think we're going to have a lot of fun previewing this season. I think the preseason was more encouraging and more uplifting than I expected it to be both in terms of the transfer business we've done and may yet do. And in terms of the performance of the Academy kids. And we'll talk about that later on in the week, but until then we should probably leave it there. So Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Mm-hmm. Tim's on Twitter. at stillberto. still Berto. Thanks Tim. My
2: pleasure as always.
1: Clive's on Twitter. At Clive P A F C. Thanks Clive.
2: Thank you very much.
1: My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee gunner gives five star review, please. And write nasty things about maybe Scott Maybe. He's going to be on our season preview as well. Uh, there'll be the YouTube show with Andrew from Arsblog. That's on Friday. There'll be the Fantasy Premier League pod for patrons tomorrow. Season preview Wednesday. Patreon preview Thursday. It's a week of content. And then that's not even to mention all the Tierney and Uppermekano content after we sign both of them. So lots of fun stuff ahead. And you know what? I'm going to do it. I think his name is Ice Ice Baby. I'll get it right before the season. But we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Newcastle 9.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?